0: Okay, we started a new series a couple of weeks ago called Faithful. I like the questions about, we admire people with amazing faith. Um, how can or can we have it? How, how would we get it? So faithful, feeling your faith in a world on empty today is that person. It could also be those people. And that'll make sense in a few minutes. Actually, right now, because we're going to talk about it here at the beginning. Maybe you've said this. Certainly, you probably thought this sometime in your life. One of these three um, phrases, I guess you would call them, sentences. First one is this. I'm so glad he showed up when he did. Maybe it's, you know, somebody showed up when you're stranded alongside the, uh, the road. Uh, maybe some other, uh, some kind of medical issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe a relational issue. And, and somebody showed up. Um, I'm not sure I would have made it through without her. Especially the difficulty. Um, Some kind of valley, we call them valleys in your life. Somebody came alongside you. Or I would not be where I am today apart from him, her, or them. Now, as I read those, who came to mind? Maybe multiple people came to mind. Multiple times in your life where this was true. Now, for most of us, we could point to our parents. I wouldn't be the person I am today without my parents, and you probably wouldn't be either. Um, maybe a mentor in your life. I remember when I <laughs> uh, finished school, uh, got my master's degree, and didn't have a church job yet, I started working as a carpenter. Now, I knew, most of you heard me say I I'd laid hardwood floors since I was a kid with my dad. So I knew how to lay hardwood floors, but I didn't know how to be a carpenter. So I got this job, and um, Melvin, most of you, many of you know Melvin. He was already on the job, and he had more, more skills than I did. But we had a retired, um, probably was a carpenter once upon a time, time, but he was a contractor. And he would come on the job site in the morning and say, okay, what's, what are you guys doing today? Oh, you're doing this? Let me show you how to do it. And so he was a um, Mentor to me in carpentry. Now, uh, you can laugh about or make fun of my skills at this point, but I'd, I would know a lot less now if it wasn't for him about carpentry. So, um, and one person I can't not mention, it's not because I want to get brownie points. see some of you have known me a long time, like my sister, for example. Um, I wouldn't be the person I am today without my wife. <laughs> She has definitely had a positive influence on me. Some of you know me for 30 years. Um, uh, she's definitely been that person I would point to as I think about these questions. Now, these people come alongside us and they uh, give us something. They give us encouragement, they give us uh, insight, they give us wisdom, they give us uh, their time, their energy, they give us sometimes correction. <laughs> Um, when we need it for our good. And so, let me ask you this question. Have you thanked those people? Mr. Tom, is, Tom that carpenter uh, mentor is one long gone, so I can't thank him. You certainly can thank your parents if they're still around. Mine aren't, but some of you have parents. Um, this is not what I'm going to say at the end, but I would just encourage you to do that. Take some time to thank those people that have poured into your life and made a difference, especially in your faith. So a little review. If you've missed some of these uh, teachings, you can go back. They're on our website um, and on YouTube. But we are talking about when Jesus invited people into a relationship with him, it wasn't about, hey, believe on this or believe on that. I mean, he included that eventually. But he, when he called people, and we're going to look at one of these incidences in Scripture. He said, follow me, follow me. You may not believe yet. In fact, you don't know me yet. How can you believe in me yet? But follow me, pay attention, look what's going on, follow me, and eventually you will hopefully believe. And um, Jesus never changed that during his lifetime. In fact, he never changed that because he's never changed his word. That's been Jesus called to all of us, to all mankind, is to come follow me. It's not come, believe this, or believe that. Now, there are beliefs that we believe and follow, but Jesus never changed his imitation. We, the church, have dumbed it down. We tell people aren't going to do that. People aren't going to follow Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you're talking about eventually you're going to wind up a crucifixion, right? That's too difficult for people. That's going to turn people off. That's going to turn people away. We've got to make it easier And so we've changed it to believe. Just believe in him. You know, believe that he was God's son, lived a perfect life, suffered, died, rose from the dead on the third day. That's all I need to do. Just believe that. It's interesting. Um, James, a brother of Jesus, in in his book, he said, the devils believe and they tremble. I like that part about the tremble because many people that just kind of believe don't really tremble at God. I just kind of believe in this, you know, fire insurance, get them into heaven. Well, that's not how you get into heaven. <laughs> um, so, we've dumbed it down. We've made it easier. In fact, we've made it so easy that you don't even have to change. Well, see, belief doesn't even make a difference. I can believe that up here and not change my life at all, not change my attitude, not change my lifestyle at all. And what happens is when you and I have what I would call an intellectual or mental faith, our faith becomes fragile, frail, and weak. And we said it's like a muscle. See, when I just believe things in my head, it doesn't take any work, it doesn't take any exercise. And so, just like a muscle, if you don't exercise, what happens to it? It gets weak. Eventually, it can completely go away. And some people have lost their faith. People don't lose their faith. You know, I believe in Jesus today, tomorrow, I don't believe anymore. It gradually happens. People drift away. The muscle of faith atrophies and gets smaller. And eventually, it's gone. And we've been asking this question through this series. What would you and I do? What would, how would we change? What would we stop doing? How would we act if we were absolutely 100% confident that God is with us? Can't imagine what we could do. Nothing could stop us because nothing could stop God. So how do we get there? Uh, How do we get that kind of faith? Uh, What fuels it? What develops it? How can we increase our faith, strengthen our faith? And we see people, I think all of us have seen people with faith we admire. They're in difficult situations, probably more difficult than ours, and they just seem to have this amazing faith. And then we admire it. We, we look up to them. I often ask myself the question, what would I do? Would I really be that faithful in that situation? One thing I think of as I'm getting older now is uh, we have folks in our church that have lost their spouses, men and women, both lost their spouses, and they just seemed to be, have such great faith, and their faith goes on after. It seems like if I lost my wife, I'd fall apart. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully I wouldn't. But uh, So I admire that. So what are some essential ingredients to a strong faith, a growing faith? And that's kind of what we're looking at. Now, we've, I'm picking out different things that I believe grows faith. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about application teaching. So that's where you take that intellectual faith and you actually do it. (laughs) When the Bible says do this, you do it. If the Bible says don't do it, you don't do it. And um, you've learned some practical application. You learn some handles on your faith. So if I, oh, we're going out here, the Jesus follower. okay, okay. If I'm gonna call myself a Jesus follower, I need to do this, or I need to not do this. <clears throat> I need to make application. My life has to be it has to be applied in my life. I have to do it differently, I have to look differently, I have to think differently, I have to act differently. So <clears throat> that causes your faith to grow when you say, actually, I'm gonna do that stuff, <laughs> I'm gonna do some of that stuff, <clears throat> and only Back into that, when we do that, God always proves himself faithful. Said, you do this, your life would be better. We do that, and our life would be better. Last week, we talked about a specific application, and that was personal ministry. Personal ministry. So God normally, often, nudges us into areas I call out of our comfort zone. He wouldn't have to nudge us if it wasn't out of our comfort zone, I guess. We'd just do it. So uh, we make an announcement, we need some people to do this or do that, and uh, some of you can just kind of, in one ear and out the other, but some of you, it just sits there, right? And the Spirit of God seems to nudge you. Yeah, yeah you ought to do that, but I'm uncomfortable doing that. It. It's out of my comfort zone. Those of you who have taught classes before, Sunday school or whatever, remember the first time you taught a class? I almost guarantee you, you weren't, yay, I'm going to get to teach a class today. It was like, oh man, are these kids going to learn anything or are they going to listen to me? <clears throat> so God nudges. It could be a teacher class. It could be involved in a special day like Smithsburg days. It could be going on a missions trip. It could be lots of things. It could be go talk to somebody or go help somebody. So that grows your faith, and when you step out in faith and do those things, follow that urging, and it's not always easy, and it doesn't always seem to work out, on the back end of that, our faith grows. We're able to trust God a little bit more. So today's topic's a little bit different. We're going to call this Providential Relationships. Providential relations. I'll give you what I mean in the next slide. It's those times in our lives when it's as if God just dropped somebody into your life just at the right time. Just what you need, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe teaching-wise, whatever. Just at the right time. You didn't see it coming. You might not have known that person. They might have come into your life and gone out of your life. And again, on the other side of that, You see God's faithfulness. Also, sometimes you and I are that person that God uses to drop in somebody else's life just at the right time to increase their faith. Sometimes we call these defining moments, right? We can look back in our lives and say, oh, that was was a defining moment. That changed everything. Um, Marriage is one of those things, obviously. Maybe graduating from school or changing a job. Some For some of us, it's health issues. Uh, they're just defining moments, and often a person uh, is involved in that. Now, we say Christianity is a relationship. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. You and I have a personal relationship with Almighty God. So how did Christianity begin? How did it get started? Well, God decided it was going to be a personal relationship. So he sent his only son in a human form, in a body, come to earth, and to hang out and interact with a group of people to show them what God was like and show them what Christianity would be like. like. And because Jesus has died and resurrected, that hasn't changed the fact you and I have a personal relationship with God. So I want to look first at uh, an incident where Jesus is calling his, his, his first 12 disciples. And this story in First John picks up, after, the day before, Jesus had just called his first four, <clears throat> excuse me, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Most of you have heard of them. So the day before he calls, calls them, this is the next day. We'll pick up the text. <clears throat> the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, is the invitation for the first four and this one, and for you and I today was what? Come what? follow me. Right? There it is. This was Jesus' invitation to the first disciples, and it's still his invitation to us. Now, Philip said, okay. Is that what Philip said? No, it's, this is fascinating. What Philip did is say, hey, can you hold on a minute? I've got a friend I'd like to invite, too. And that's how the story goes. <clears throat> Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown, so they possibly knew each other. So, Philip says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to talk to a friend of mine. So the text goes on. Philip went to look for his friend, Nathaniel, And he told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. He's the Messiah's who they wrote about and are looking for. The son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, Nathanael was, oh, yeah, yeah, let's go. Now, Nathaniel says, like you and I would say, "Well, oh, we've been waiting for him for 600 years, and you think you found him? It's even worse than that. He wasn't even interested. Because of what? We don't know exactly why, but he says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, some commentators say that was a center of a Roman legion, so there's a lot of Gentiles, non-Jewish people there. We don't know. These towns were only like four miles apart. Maybe it was a rivalry like between Smithsburg and, and Boonesboro. I don't know. We don't know exactly. But he wasn't impressed that this guy, Jesus, was from Nazareth, right? So Philip gave, gave up, right? Uh, I can tell you're not interested. In fact, you're worse than not interested. No. Notice what Philip does. He said, okay, okay. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe anything good comes from Nazareth. Just Just come and see. Would you do me that the, the honor or favor? Just, just, just come and check it out for yourself. Just come and see. That was his response. What a great response. When you would I deal with people that think, oh, Christianity is crazy or why do you believe that stuff? Okay, you don't have to believe it. Just, just, just come and see. Such a powerful approach or invitation to people. And can you imagine Nathaniel later on He's, he's, he's doing ministry with Jesus. And I, I can't imagine how many times we get to heaven, we can ask him, How many times, Nathaniel, did you thank Philip for that invitation? What would you have, I have missed? I might have missed, it, missed the, <laughs> the kingdom altogether if it wasn't for your invitation. So, story is even more fascinating. So, he follows Philip to where Jesus is. And as they're an approaching, now, approaching Jesus sees him. He says, now this is referring to Nathaniel. Had they ever met? Not that we can tell. But he's referring to Nathaniel. He says, now this is a genuine son of Israel. This is a Jew of all Jews. I mean, he was Jewish to the bone. And now notice this. I love this. A man of complete integrity. I love somebody to say that about me. Pastor John, you're a man of complete integrity. Take you at your word. I can trust you. You're dependable. Whatever that implies. So he says this about Nathaniel. Now, if you're Nathaniel, how are you going to respond? This guy never met me, right? So here's his response. How would you know that about me? Which evidently was true. Or Nathaniel prided himself on being that type of person. And Jesus replied, well, uh, Nathaniel... (laughs) I could see you under that fig tree before Philip even found you. Now, I don't know about you, but this is kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? Maybe a little scary. And commentators like to imagine. I do too. So what was Philip doing under that fig tree? And the most fascinating one I discovered, came across or read was, some people suggest that He possibly was contemplating on the Messiah. He was a a strong Jew. And what they were looking forward to most, especially since the Romans were in control, was that the Messiah would come and set us free. So maybe that's what he was thinking about. Or maybe he's just sitting there eating a fig. We don't know, right? But Jesus said, "I, I saw you. I know you, even before I met you. Now, if that was true in Nathaniel, isn't that also true of you and I? got a little scary. God sees us 24-7. He knows everything we're thinking. He knows you, and he knows me. So now, what's Nathaniel's response? Rabbi, you are the Son of God, King of Israel. This is interesting. He just goes from this, nothing good can come from Nazareth. To, you, yeah, you're the Messiah. So Jesus asked him the logical question. He said, do you believe just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? I, he could have even been lying about that, but I, maybe he gave him more details. I don't know. Notice what he says next. You will see greater things than this. Is that true? Boy, is that true. <laughs> he was one of the 12 disciples. Now, talking about providential relationships. This was providential for Nathaniel, right? So I want to share two biggies from my life. (laughs) Um, We all have them, and some of these stories some of you've heard. But I'm back in seminary, and uh, I've got one, it's the summer before my last semester, and um, my mom decides she wants to move. (laughs) We lived in Glen Burnie, just south of Baltimore, so I grew up, and she was upset at something at the church, and she decided she wanted to move. Now, May and Fred lived in Myersville. Fred worked in, in Frederick. And we'd come up here and visit. And we thought, hey, it's great. It's beautiful around here, <laughs> which I still agree with and still believe. And so she said, put my house up for sale. And we're going to move <laughs> near them. So we did that summer. Uh, we bought a house in uh, Middletown. And on Labor Day weekend, we moved it. And then I go off to seminary. I commuted back and forth to North Carolina that final semester. Well, we started attending Myersville Baptist Church where they were attending. And uh, Al Mullins was the pastor. Now, maybe they remember more about Al than I did, but um, I don't remember one sermon he preached. Not one. But he's a good guy. And the thing I admired about him was, he left a bigger church, the church in South End in Frederick, to pastor a mission church, Myersville Baptist Church, a meeting in a school building, a whole school building. So I admired him, that about him. Now, okay, so you got this almost potential or by the end by December seminary graduate in your congregation. Boy, wouldn't the logical thing be, man, I can use this to help grow my church, right? But that wasn't Al. You know what Al said to me? I noticed this little church over the mountains in Frederick County to Washington County, over the mountain, over South Mountain. It may, Could you use some help? Um, why don't you go check it out? I said, okay. <laughs> um, so in January of that year, I showed up in a little country church called Eccles Mill Baptist Church. About 25 people there. Pastors like 74 years old. Won't be long before I'm that old. But anyway, <laughs> it seemed old at the time. Uh, uh, he wasn't in good health. That was part of the problem. And uh, I think they put me to work teaching Sunday school the first day I showed up. And uh, I hung around. Long story short, with the, by the, the end of that year, I married a young girl in that church, Debbie Jenkins, who is now my wife. Uh, a year later... We built the building, Greenbar Baptist Church. And once the building was built, I became the pastor. Now, I I just think about this. What if Al hadn't suggested that to me? How different would my life be? I have children here. Their lives, they wouldn't exist, would they? (laughs) They wouldn't exist. And consequently, (laughs) their spouses wouldn't be married to them, etc., etc. Now, fast forward, I don't know how many years... Fast forward. But uh, it's funny. One was about my mom, and the other one's going to be about my mother-in-law. Anyway, uh, this was um, January of 91, I believe. And Naomi had been at Greenbrier Baptist Church all that time, and she was decided that whatever reason, she wanted to, to leave, go to a different church. Well, it just so happens that there was this church that was meeting in a, a, a community center, two miles from her house called Smithsburg Valley. And she says, we were uh, living in Mount Etna, but we were still going to West End Baptist Chapel because that's where we had lived previously. And so we said, yeah, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go with you. She shows up. They don't have anybody to play piano. She's, she immediately starts playing a piano. Long story short, we're still here. <laughs> My mother-in-law plays in the first service. And... Um, By the end of that year, I became the pastor. Now, what if my mother-in-law hadn't decided, hey, go to another church, or they hadn't invited us to go with her? Defining moments completely can change our lives. Now, interesting thing about providential relationships is you don't get to choose them, do they? Or they wouldn't be providential. (laughs) Um, Didn't choose Al Mullins to be the person that would lead me to my wife and my first church. But, let me say this, on the other hand, we can be proactive in hanging out with people of faith so they can be providential or pour into us. So I want to fast forward in New Testament times to the writer of Hebrews. He's writing a group of, of Jewish believers and he's trying to encourage them. Evidently, they're struggling to go into a difficult time. And so, we're going to talk a couple of verses, are going to be about the theological background, uh, which is kind of fascinating. He says this in um, verse uh, 19 Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Now, Jews worship in the temple. And the temple, the back part of the temple, was called the Holy of Holies. That's where they believed God was. And it had a curtain in front of it. And the high priest can only go in there once a year. That's how holy it was. He had to prepare himself to be holy enough to go in there once a year. Okay, but with Jesus, everything changed. Okay? By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Not just for the high priest once a year, but for all of us anytime we want. Text goes on. And since we have this great high priest, Jesus who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God. You and I don't have to hesitate. Even though we're sinful, and He's a holy God, we get become holy by Jesus' blood so we can be in God's presence. Notice this then. Presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. That's faith, right? Fully trusting would be full faith. Fully trusting Him. Now, then he says this, so let us hold tightly or unswervingly, some translations say. You ever swerve in your car? Well, he said, no, this is unswerving. We're not going to swerve. I almost hit a, hit a squirrel on the way <laughs> to church this morning. Well, I, I've noticed with squirrels are. You, you just keep going. They'll, they'll miss you somehow. Anyway, so I didn't, I didn't swerve. Um, so straight ahead, without wavering to the hope, we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let me say that again. God can be trusted to keep his promise or promises. I think this is the source of faith. God has promises. I trust him. He keeps his promise. And that is the source or growth of my faith. So consequently, all right, we're at that place. have access to God. He can be fully trusted with his promises. What does the writer of Hebrews say to, this, to these folks? He says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to beliefs of love. No, of acts of love and good works. So, I need to think of ways to pour into you and you need to think of ways to pour into me so that we would perform acts of love and good works, and when we do that, our faith grows, and the other person's faith grows. So, consequently, to be able to do that, what what is necessary? And this is the verse, probably the most r- for me to you folks, um, preachers like this verse. <laughs> All of us should, and let us not neglect our meeting together. So, if I'm going to be pouring into you, and you're going to be pouring into me, we got to be together, right? Following Jesus, changing what? What's the word we use? Together. Exactly. As some people do. Now, unfortunately, we were forced to do that. Uh, back two years ago, I guess it was. But this is how we encourage one another. It's hard for me to encourage one another if I'm not rubbing shoulders with you. And notice how he ends. He says, now that the day of his return is drawing near." They thought Jesus was coming back soon. We don't know when he's coming back, but we're 2,000 years closer to it, right? (laughs) Absolutely. So why did the author say this? I always like to ask that question. And here is my answer. Proximity matters. Proximity matters. Who you spend time with, who you are close to, matters. If it's a person of faith, it builds my faith. If it's not, now, we've had relationships with people that aren't believers, but that's to so our faith would rub off on them, not that they can destroy our faith. But what happens, especially when we don't hang out together, is we start to drift. Again, people don't, I'm a believer today, I'm not a believer tomorrow. They drift. They start to doubt. As I put on your outline, people lose faith, or their faith shrinks when they lose contact with people of faith. And unfortunately, that's happened a lot in the last two years. So it's critical to your faith and my faith that we stay in contact with people of faith. Then God can produce what I'm calling providential relationships. Now, you can have providential relationships that aren't spiritual. Somebody stops you're broken down alongside the road, somebody comes along and helps you, that's providential too, right? But we'd say, God provided that person, even though he might not even be a believer. So the flip side, the positive side, is when we see God's faithfulness in someone else's life, it's easier to trust him with ours, especially when they're going through difficulties. When I see, you know, people that have lost their spouses, I think, wow, I don't know if I would have had that faith. If I lost one, one of my, my spouse, I've already mentioned. So, staying connected to a community of faith grows our faith. So if I ask you, you want to grow your faith? You say, yeah. Hopefully everybody raised their hand and say, yeah. Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to have my faith be stronger. Well, i got a simple solution for you. Spend time with people of faith. That's what we talk about, we call small groups. Because really, Sunday morning is great. I love Sunday morning. I get, up, get, get to go get up here and talk. <laughs> I love Sunday mornings. But we don't really spend time together. Say hi, a few minutes of passing. But in small groups, that's why I lead at least two all the time. Small groups. Because that's where I can pour into people most, and other people can pour into me the most. And that's, that's a little selfish, I guess. But I need that. I need people to pour into me. I feel sorry for people that don't, because it's going to be harder for you to have growing, stronger faith. On the flip side, a single invitation—I'm putting it on you—a single invitation from you to somebody, like Philip to Nathaniel, a single invitation could position you as a catalyst in somebody else's faith story. Whether it's a somebody's not a believer becoming a believer, someone's a Jesus follower that maybe is struggling. Well, let's, let, I, I say this. Hey, let's have coffee together, but I don't drink coffee, so some of you can say that. I can't say that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, just spend some time. Let's sit together. Let's share our lives a again. Go for a walk or whatever it might be. A single invitation could position you to be a catalyst in someone's faith story. Wouldn't it? Isn't that amazing when you can do be that? In fact, something happened in a small group Monday and, and after the first service, somebody shared with it and I had said something that, that, that helped this lady's faith. I don't remember saying it. And the fact that she said that to me this morning or to us this morning increased my faith. Thank you, God, you use me. So I mentioned last week this basic principle. You and I can only do what we can do, Right? You can only invite people. You can't force people. You can't force people to believe anything. Only you and I can do and trust God to do what only He can do. That's the walk that builds your faith. But you've got to do what you can do. And something we've talked about in the past is, this is important, your friends, people you spend time with, determines the direction and quality of your life. Logic would say, if I want to grow my faith, I have to spend time with what kind of people? People with growing faith. So again, I want you to remember these two words. Proximity matters. Who are you rubbing shoulders with? Who are you spending time with? And then, as I said earlier, when we see God's faithfulness in someone else's life, might be the easiest way to trust Him with your life. always give you a next step. I mentioned one. <laughs> facing backwards, this was facing forward. A single invitation could petition you as a catalyst of someone's faith story, right? So, in whose story is God prompting you to be a part? To invite them to have coffee, to go for a walk, or just sit down and spend some time. Do it. Take action. Let me pray with you and I'll let you go. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you've spoken to us, I think pretty clearly, at least to me this morning, hopefully to others. You want to use us to grow other people's faith and you want to use other people to grow our faith. It's a win-win. So I pray, God, that we would literally do that. It doesn't have to be technically in a one of our small groups. It's a good place, great place to do it. But whatever it is, wherever you're prompting us, I pray God that we would go, that we would do, that we'd invite. We'd be Philip to Nathaniel. Open our eyes to see God and give us the courage to step out in faith, especially when it's out of our comfort zone. But that'll grow our faith like nothing else. Thank you, Jesus, you desire to do that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.